Hello and welcome to Special Extra Bunker Daily. I am your host, Alex Andro. Today, the report into the murder of investigator Daniel Morgan, killed with an axe in the car park of the Golden Lion pub in Sydenham, and the huge failures in the investigation and prosecution of that case was finally published. 34 years from his killing, eight years after Theresa May announced the setting up of the independent panel, and after months of wrangling with the Home Office about its publication. I discussed the importance of the impending report a few weeks back with a brilliant David Allen Green, and he's back with me today for this update. David Allen, welcome. Hi there. What is your first impression before we go into a little more detail? This is a solid, thorough report. If you are to make out the serious charge that the Metropolitan Police is institutionally corrupt, you need to do it very well with good sources, with good methodology. Looking at the report just one day in, it looks as if this report makes out in full the charge that the Metropolitan Police is institutionally corrupt and in the present tense. This isn't just about the Met in the late 1980s and the 1990s. It goes to what the Metropolitan Police is like now. Has it met your expectations or is it slightly better than you expected? I was worried, and there's reasons to be worried. First of all, the inquiry was not a statutory inquiry. This mattered. It meant that the inquiry could not insist on any evidence coming out of Metropolitan Police, could not Mm. compel evidence, could not put people under oath and have them cross-examined. So it was always going to be in a relatively weak position in trying to get to the truth. Also, it is an incredibly complicated set of affairs, tens of thousands of documents over many, many, many years. So it was always going to be difficult. So given those inherent disadvantages, for a report to come out which looks this solid, yes, does surpass most reasonable expectations. You would not have expected such a good solid report given the weakened starting points of this panel. Now, the report splits broadly into three areas, and the first is events before and around the murder. What are the headlines there? Interestingly, the the panel report even suggests there are some lines of inquiry which the investigators still could look at. And so, in principle, it could be that the murder investigation could be revived if there is new evidence. Otherwise, There isn't a great deal which is new about the circumstances of the death. They have been quite well rehearsed in many, many investigations and failed Mm. prosecutions. One thing which does become more and more apparent is how corrupt the police was from the police work from the very beginning. And although Mm. this has been something which people may have thought they knew about, to have it detailed and referenced with source after source, actually shows that, yes, each investigation was undermined for not a very good reason. It then moves on to criticism of the many, many investigations and failed prosecutions that followed, describing them as pathetic, I think is the word it uses. What jumped out at you? Well, if you are going to argue that there is corruption, You've got to really identify what is the motive force for this. Is is it monetary gain? Is it some other improper purpose? And what this report does very elegantly is shows that each important step, the Metropolitan Police was motivated 
by self-interest as to its reputation. Mm. It hid everything which was uncomfortable. It dealt with each investigation in a way which meant that nobody could ever be held culpable. And this report does incredibly well in showing how this motivated key actors at each and every stage. It was mm. genuinely a cover-up. It is and, not and something I allege easily because I am not a conspiracy theorist by nature, but it, it's demonstrated. But the point is that things don't get much better as we move forward in time, and it is precisely that instinct to obstruct, to cover up in order to protect the police's reputation that persists until really the report looks to present day in the way its own investigation into the, these matters were was obstructed. Absolutely. If you can imagine a sequence of Russian dolls going from uh, the police station in Catford to Scotland Yard, you, you have each successive cover-up as trying to have to cover something even bigger than before. And it goes until very recently. The last document which was disclosed by the Metropolitan Police after a great deal of obstruction, which again is detailed in the report, was as recently as 2021. This panel was put in place in 2013 and was supposed to do its job within a year. Hmm. It wasn't even given access to the so-called Holmes computer, H-O-L-M-S-A-S, named after obviously yeah, yeah. the detective, until about five or six years into the investigation. The Met did everything it could to make this report as, as slow and as painful as possible for the panel. It is a dreadful catalogue of obstruction. And yes, it, it goes to the present day. Things yeah. change. The reasons why things don't work change from 1987 onwards. But there's a continual pattern of the Metropolitan Police trying to protect its reputation against criticism about how it failed to properly investigate and then prosecute the murder of Daniel Morgan. Hmm. Now, even though links between police, private investigators and certain news organisations were part of the remit of the panel, that section is in some ways notably thin. Um, my impression is that the, the report looked much more carefully at what was being sold from the police side, but less mm -hmm. at who was buying it, if that makes sense. Why is that? Well, that, there are reasons. If you look at the actual membership of the panel, most of them are experienced criminal justice professionals, former police officer, former uh, probation officer, criminal justice experts. They have a particular interest in looking at how the criminal justice system worked. There was not any, for example, journalists or media professionals involved on the panel of this. So, of course, their natural focus would be on the police side. Secondly, the sources which they were asked to look after, the tens of thousands of pages of documentation which was generated in the investigations and the prosecutions, obviously tend to have a very heavy bias towards criminal justice and criminal justice-related mm, matters. Mm. Also, I think I get a sense when you look at it that the Leveson First report and also a report by Elizabeth Firkin, which did look at media issues, covered a lot of the ground already. And indeed, this Daniel Morgan panel report refers to both the Leveson and the Firkin reports and adopts their conclusions about relationships mm. with the Metropolitan Police. I think they thought the demand side 
for this trade in private information had more or less already been covered and didn't need their focus. But right. the supply side, the, the, the relationship between the police and the private detective industry hadn't been done. And so I think this complements the Leverson and Firkin reports quite well. And I am glad that they focused on that because that really hadn't been done before. That, that was the, the bit of it that was completely obscure. Um, now, what are the key recommendations that the panel make? There's a whole range of recommendations in, in the report. And one one criticism I have of the report is that there isn't a table of recommendations. So you actually have to go through the report and, and look for each recommendation mm, separately. Mm. There are some recommendations, as I have said, about going back and looking at certain pieces of evidence again. There are some recommendations about how you conduct inquiries within the police, how these investigations are treated, how they deal with the family. But there are two quite general recommendations which tie in with other things which have been in the news recently. One of these is the recommendation that there's a general duty of candour in, in public bodies mm. when dealing with inquiries. This is also something which came out in the Hillsborough investigations, yeah. where, as you will know, police and police lawyers didn't tell everything they should have done. They didn't tell the whole truth because they felt as if they didn't have to because an, an inquiry isn't a sort of course of justice for that purpose. Yeah. And again, this report also says there should be a general duty of candour. And it also recommends that there is also a general duty of the police to cooperate with, with inquiries. Because in a lovely passage, it says that the police treated the panel as a litigant in litigation and was as obstructive in its approach as you would be if you were in a court case. Mm. Now, at the press conference, uh, uh, Baroness Nula alone, um, who led this work, complained that it was made more difficult by the fact the panel was not set up under the Inquiries Act 2005, and therefore, as you've indicated, it didn't have statutory powers, for instance, to compel witnesses to testify on the disclosure of documents, etc. How relevant is that in relation to the ongoing tussle between government and opposition about how the COVID inquiry promised next year will be set up? It's of course, it's crucially relevant. The government does not like statutory inquiries because it loses control over what information is given. A statutory inquiry provides a separate centre of legal gravity for the inquirer. It means that they can say, we need this, you cannot say no. Mm. Governments tend not to like that because they are things they don't want to actually come out. And I think looking at this and looking at Hillsborough indicates the importance why inquiries should be on a statutory basis with formal powers or shouldn't actually take place. Mm -hmm. These sort of halfway houses don't help anybody. And also, not just looking at it from government's point of view, it is unsatisfactory for everybody involved, even those who might even get blamed if the panel has not got proper panels uh, powers and hasn't got access to yeah, due process. Because it, it has imperfect information, which can lead to the wrong results. Um, and now, so we are very lucky how well this panel has done, given these hindrances. Yeah. Now, talking about um, government control freakery, Priti Patel made a statement to the House of Commons in which she insisted that she was right to hold back publication, a notion that you 
demolished fairly comprehensively last time we spoke. Is there a danger that she will use this report to shove loads of stuff into the policing bill and reform police governments governance for the worse in line with her own sort of autocratic tendencies? She wouldn't need much excuse to do that, being be coming to politics from, from her perspective. And what it also what it certainly does is makes it very difficult for the police to push back and say, no, you don't need these extra exactly. powers vis-a-vis the police. It it is undermining. And these reports do chip away at the credibility of the police. And the thing about this report, and because it's so thorough and detailed, is that you might want to ignore it. You might want to exploit it. But the one thing you cannot do is dismiss it. This will stand up. And we've only just looked at it for a day. There's going to be a mm-hmm. whole range of things in this report which will become apparent as we digest it properly. Yes, and loads of threads that I imagine journalists will pick up. Um what is Cressida Dick's position, considering there is plenty of criticism of current practices? This is what was most surprising, in a way, about this report. You were expecting this to be a, a an exploration of malpractices in the later 1980s and 1990s. And in, to that extent, there was going to be little new. We all knew from Nick Davis's investigative work what the relationship was between the police and the private detective industry and the media. What has come out of this report since nineteen, uh, since 2012, since 2013, is how the police have not changed and how, even now, the police are trying to be obstructive and dismissive of, of, of this report and will not take ownership. And this is the key nature of the word institutional. This report says there is institutional corruption, not just the corruption of one or two individuals, not one the usual bad apples from the from the overused analogy. Mm. Not past tense. They even said this at the press launch today. This is present tense. There are still institutional problems. There is the problems are still with the barrel itself. And when you look at how how the leadership of the Metropolitan Police, and not just uh, Chris Dick, but just generally, how they deal with issue after issue, with Tomlinson, with Sever Everard, with a whole range of things. Yeah, yeah, yeah. There are problems with the Metropolitan because Police, the, and they know, need the, addressing. There's a sort of traditional perception of corruption that is, you know, brown paper envelopes stuffed with money. But what the report, I think, does is it it looks at the lack of transparency and openness as the necessary condition for corruption. Yes. And it says that that's still going on. And unless that changes, effectively the institution will always have problems. It takes the sense of corruption as irregularity, not just fraud-related corruption, but things which are corrupted in its literal sense. Seriously, it is a 1,200-page report. It mentions the word corruption over 700 times in those 1,200 pages. And it shows at each time how irregular things happened. And the sheer accumulation of this detailed evidence is such that it cannot be argued that this was just one or two bad police officers down Catford Nick. Mm. Now, finally, uh, a family is at the heart of this. 
The son of Daniel Morgan, Dan, wrote last month that no public body had met the family's expectations of even a notional level of justice. Um, is this report beginning to address that? I mean, you've mentioned that it contains new evidence that might even revive the investigation into the 1987 murder itself. But Well, it mentions new lines of inquiry yeah, of that evidence. But, but putting that aside, is this the first time that this family will have looked at a quasi-public body and think it didn't do them wrong? I don't know what Alistair... Uh, Morgan is going to say I've, he has not made any public comment since the report was published but I would anticipate that this report will go down well than anything else before in this 30 this year old campaign to actually get some sense of justice it is the first time where it has it has been made plain on a on, on a formal basis that there were huge systemic problems every single step of the way. And mm. Alistair Morgan has been a very lonely person sometimes going on about this for years upon years, for year yeah. after year after year. He tried to bring attention to this because the story was so complicated and because there were so many powerful vested interests against actually having this story aired. But he carried on doggedly. And I yeah. hope he gets some sort of sense of justice and closure out of this. But I also don't think this report, if properly considered, is going to be the final word. There are things here which need to be taken forward. Not only the new possible lines of inquiry into the investi murder investigation itself, but how the Metropolitan Police is still, present tense, institutionally corrupt in dealing with these sort of issues. Yeah. Um, David Allen, thank you for your time and for your clarity. Thank you. You can support our work by subscribing to the podcast on your favourite app and you can bolster us financially if you want on the funding platform Patreon. This is Alex Andreu in The Bunker saying over and out. The Bunker was presented by Alex Andreu. The producer is Andrew Harrison. Assistant producers were Yelena Sofronovic and Jacob Archibald. Audio production was from me, Robin Lieberman. And The Bunker theme tune is by Kenny Dickinson. The Bunker is a Podmasters production.